everybody. Wow, happy 50th episode. I am so proud that we have made it to the 50th episode of Root Awakening a Health podcast. I started this podcast in late December of 2020 with the help of my podcast editor, Diamond Hunter, and I still talk to Diamond. We're still cool. She still helps me edit this podcast, and we have managed to reach the 50 episode mark, which I'm really excited about, and we have a super cool episode for you today to celebrate that. Are you a gardener? Do you want to be a gardener? Are you interested in sourcing food locally and seasonally? Are you curious about how nature's cycles tie into soil health, the seasons, our bodies, and spirituality? Today, Megan Gilger joins me on this episode. Megan Gilger runs Fresh Exchange on Instagram. She is a teacher, she is a business owner, and she is a third generation gardener who has a mission to help everyone feel empowered to grow their own garden. And she does a lot of this through building community, which I think is so cool. And she's local to me. Megan lives up north in Michigan. She's north from me in Leelanau County. And she has built her property into this awesome gardening spot. And she knows so much about sustainable biodynamic food growing and plant planting and I don't know all the technical terms but you know when we hear about biodynamic stuff you know how we hear about soil health and how our soil health is going to shit and all of the monocropping is ruining it well Megan is working to do the opposite of that she's working to enrich the soil there's a lot of community outreach happening around Megan and she's facilitating some of that and I think that this is such a cool example of someone building their lives to be the way they want it in a way that feels morally sound to them and a way that feels good to their soul. I think we are starting to catch a movement of people who are wanting to become more self-sustainable but also interdependent on community members and not big companies who don't give a shit about us, really going more towards local and going more towards handmade and homegrown. So make and I talk about that. She's really knowledgeable about gardening. She's really done her research on what kind of practices and farming techniques and gardening techniques the native communities were using to help enrich the soil and help actually add to the earth and add to the soil's health, the kind of cyclical beautiful practices that were being utilized here for thousands of years before the U.S. got colonized. She's done her research on that. She talks about that and she's worked really, really hard to learn those gardening practices and learn how to build back up the health of soil and the health of food and growing stuff locally and supporting uh, different communities that are local to her. So it's a really cool conversation. It, of course, gets spiritual by the end of the episode. Megan has a cool way of tying everything in together very poetically and emotionally and talks about how gardening has and just connection with nature has touched her life and got her through some difficult times and she talks about some dream like a very vivid dream that she had that really touched me it's a super cool story i'm so excited for you to listen to it enjoy hello everybody welcome back to root awakening a health podcast 
Not only does today mark our 50th episode of this podcast, but to celebrate that, Megan Gilger is here with me today. Megan is a teacher, a business owner, and a third-generation gardener who has a mission to help everyone feel empowered to grow their own garden. There's a place called Farm Club in Traverse City, Michigan. It's one of my favorite spots ever. It's a restaurant that's also a farm, and they serve their homegrown food on their menu, and it's just exactly how you want it to look. Wood stoves, kind of this woodsy Scandinavian style. It's awesome. And well, what I just said is relevant because Farm Club shared one of Megan's posts on their story and I got an intuitive nudge to click on her post. And once I did, I checked out her Instagram profile and I was immediately like, okay, yes, this woman knows what she is doing. It seemed very clear to me, Megan, that you've really created the life that you wanted. That was almost immediately clear to me. And I love that. I love that vibe because I think we're, we're all capable of doing that with our own struggles along the way but it's possible to really create what we want. You know, she lives, Megan lives upstate in Michigan and has this beautiful, thoughtful garden and home and she champions local eating or homegrown eating and making lots of handmaids and DIYs. And she has this, these community memberships to teach others thoughtful gardening practices. And she even has like recommendations on her Instagram profile of her favorite outerwear and the products that have stood the test of time um, in her journey journey gardening, which I really enjoy. I'm someone who prefers recommendations through word of mouth other than uh, rather than searching on Google. And Megan, I just, I got to tell you, we have a lot of people in this audience who really value self-sufficiency and homemade everything. So we're just super excited to have you here. Megan Gilger, teacher, business owner, third generation gardener. Welcome to Root Awakening, a health podcast. I'm excited to be here. And I just love this intro of how the world connects itself. It's just so beautiful and wonderful. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And isn't it cool? You know, I really don't get nudges to click on everyone's profile all the time, right? I try to actually stay off social media as much as possible, as many other people do. But some people you just get feelings about, you know? And and um, I noticed right away that I wanted to have you on the podcast. Almost it, within the first five minutes, I think of looking at your profile, I was like, yep, yes. Um, <laughs> decision made. And uh, yeah, so, and that being said, I don't know that much about you. So I'm really, I think these questions will be quite fresh and I'll get to learn a lot about you and, and what you do as well. So yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to just start with your background. Tell us what third generation gardener means to you. So I grew up in Harbor Springs, Michigan, um, and my parents were busy. My dad owned a construction business and my mom had a full-time job as well. And so I spent a lot of days with my grandfather who was retired and my grandmother was still working part-time. And so he, he was retired he had worked in the military and stuff. And, um, he took care of me and he had, they had two acres in downtown Harbor Springs. And I spent all my time with him in his garden and helped him garden and do all of it. And it was such a beautiful time in my life. And, um, but what happened really sadly was that he passed away suddenly. And, um, so we lost him. And when I lost him, I lost my connection to the garden because my parents went through a tough time and we ended up moving. But all along the way throughout my life, my parents started growing a garden again once we got settled. And, um, 
and I was like with him, with my dad all the time growing a garden, and then we were taking the food inside. My mom was taking what she had learned and preserving it, and mm. you know, bake, we baked bread as a family, and like all these things. And I found such a way of connecting to self and to the people around me through this practice. That, and I realized as I had my own children and started, you know, I went through a period of time where I walked away from the garden and then came back to it and started um, volunteering on a farm until I could actually, actually with Loma, that is part of Farm Club, and they're good friends of mine. And um, they ended up, you know, kind of getting me back into it and reconnecting. But every, I can like almost pinpoint all points in my life, like almost every age where there's some story of the garden and food and local eating and like how it has just navigated me through my whole life and how I've connected even with work and all this stuff. It's, mm -hmm. it's always come back to those things. And so when I was really reshaping my business and everything, I realized that I needed to get back. I needed to do this and I needed to empower people to feel that they could do this. Cause this is where I was feeling such a very solid ground under my feet. And after becoming a mother and, you know, settling in somewhere and it just, I was like, more people can do this and they need to do it. And it's not as hard as we need, we make it out to be. And it's such a beautiful thing. Um, and it can happen anywhere. And cause I always had pots and plants everywhere I went, like all the different houses I've lived in, all the apartments, even when we were living abroad for a while, like I, we always had an apartment with like pots and things like that, growing things. There was always growing things around me. So yeah, it's always been a huge part of my life. Yeah, totally. So <laughs> did the business come first before your garden? The business came first and then you worked the garden into your business? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a designer um, by practice. So that was like what I went to school for and everything. I wanted to work in... Um, like I wanted to work basically in like storytelling, but visual storytelling mm -hmm. and through like film and um, design and things like that. So I wanted to work with studios that were doing that sort of work or brands that were doing that work. And I did for a long time. And, but I graduated right at the height of the recession. And so I had to really make a way for myself and with a creative degree. And so I started a blog and then the blog just kind of like was always a story of my life. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's just kind of, that's what it was, but it slowly became a huge part of my business and a part of my life. And, you know, I fell into like some of the traps of like, okay, I can like make a business if I like promote products and things like that. And which was fine. But over time I started to really understand it more deeply. And there was a professor I had in college who said, you know, being a creative is a powerful tool. We can decide the voice in which we're putting out into the world and you can do good or you can do harm and you get that choice. Mm -hmm. And so it really resonated in the back of my mind as I was working through this process of like, you know, starting to think about being a mom and like what that was going to look like for myself. And I was like, what do, what do I feel like I want to tell my kids I did, you know, and like, what is that legacy I want to leave behind? And that's when, you know, we were working like from a brand perspective and um, design perspective, because I also had my design studio with a lot of companies that were like startup, like 
local food things and like it was really fun and I was so inspired by it um and those were the companies that I wanted to just keep grabbing onto and so I was like okay this is something you know this is something I need to listen to and then when we landed here and I just started really digging into this this history of mine of just like this is what has always grounded me I started re like realizing I was like oh I have so much knowledge that can help so many people and I can reshape what fresh exchange is and I can do good with this because I almost gave it up like I was like you know what I'm done with this part of my life like this isn't something I want to do anymore I don't feel comfortable with these terms that people are putting on me um uh, in terms of like influencer and things like that and so mm. I completely stepped away from all of that in order to rebuild something that was 100% you know my goal was that my business would leave the world a better place than you know when it showed up you know yeah. and so this year we made this goal of you know helping 500 people start a garden that didn't just feed them but also fed an ecosystem mm -hmm. and that it was creating a positive impact on the environment through utilizing things like companion planting and um, no-tilling and all this stuff so that you know people can really connect um, in a big way so yeah Awesome. So when you were working for these companies that were more lo local, did that just kind of turn on your gene to be like, wait a second, this mm -hmm. kind of moral code really resonates with me? It just did it just feel right to your soul kind of? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. like, because I saw like the community impact that it makes. And I it wasn't just like, you know, I could go and, you know, promote a farmer, even though that farmer just gave me some free vegetables. And, and it would do a huge amount of good or work with the local farmers market and like promote what they're doing and how people can shop in the farmers market and teaching people how to do that uh and making it more approachable i realized oh wow like this makes this is impacting our local economy in a huge way and not just you know because i think traverse city has this conversation around that is like kind of like the place that people come and drink a lot and like it's kind of like but there's a whole conversation here that's so much deeper there's agritourism that is so powerful and it is a beautiful example of what you know a thoughtful community connection can really be and there aren't many places that i think are really celebrating that and i think traverse city is really trying to and so i felt like okay i have a voice here and i can say that and so I really shifted that from like working with big brands to, you know, thinking how can I be on this local scale and making an impact here. So I would say also a wider scale part of your purpose to communicate to other folks who aren't even in Michigan, maybe aren't even in the States that, hey, yeah. this is possible, right? Gardening, first of all, doing your own thing, but also like building a community around that because the, the, conversation about self-sufficiency can get really territorial yep. and untrusting sometimes too, because I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of in the conspiracy world and I like to be prepared and you never yeah. know what's going to happen to society. I prefer being kind of on the outskirts of society, yeah. but something that I noticed that is 
uh, really true is that there are other people that have these same values that want to be a part of what you're doing and having that community just it means so much that interdependency just really feels right and you are helping to communicate that to everybody that this is possible and uh, then the folks that are around you in your area clearly benefit really well as well yeah. Um, yeah so can you tell us about how this project where you helped 500 people directly how that came about can you tell us more about that well i you know you can't it's really hard to like legitimize how the impact of a garden does on the environment and i'm i'm a huge environmentalist i mean i'm on a local council for our conservancy i i have I have strong beliefs in that and understanding even the indigenous people and like how they lived here and kind of healing that bond or that connection of, you know, what you know, being a white person and like how I can play a, a bonding part of healing that brokenness there um, as somebody who is responsible for 15 acres. And so how can I make this better? And so I'm a huge environmentalist and because of all these things, living amongst everything here and living on a peninsula in the middle of Lake Michigan, you see how much the climate is affecting everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I realized I was like, okay, I, you know, promoting products and then thinking about instead, I can encourage gardens. Okay, how can I encourage more gardens? And I can't quantify the carbon drawdown necessarily, or like how many bees are being um, you know, helped out by our gardening practices. But if I know that I'm promoting garden practicing that doesn't, doesn't just like do, you know, doesn't just leave no footprint, but actually leaves a positive footprint mm -hmm. on the environment, uh, through utilizing an intense amount, like creating these ecosystems within even a raised bed, can make a huge difference. And so I'm like, okay, I want, I'm just gonna toss a number out there. What seems both doable, but also like kind of like shooting for the moon a little bit, somewhere in that middle ground. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 500 feels feels good, you know, like, and that's like roughly 1% of my email newsletter. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this feels doable. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it, so far we're on track. I mean, we have, over 200 people in our community online community and it's just growing all the time and i love watching how nature connects us like in even the online world like it's so beautiful and even like across the world so we have members in europe and canada and mm -hmm. you know australia but we're all talking about the same sort of connection so yeah, yeah it's so profound it's so profound and deep it's really as you're talking about this i'm realizing just how deep it is you know it's not just gardening it's a it's another level of service to nature and to the community and yeah. i think it's also a great point that uh supporting everyone there are so many ways to do that uh, and giving back to the folks who were here before the white folks came along mm -hmm. It also can be that that service or that giving back process can also include not buying as much food from these huge companies that don't really give a shit about any of us. Yeah, totally. 
And part of that can be growing local food, sharing it, buying from local companies. That can be a big part of it. Uh, so awesome. That's great. I mean, it's just great to hear. It's super encouraging. Yeah. So let's talk about gardening practices, because I didn't really think about gardening as something that could have a negative impact on the earth. Of course, I know about um, mono cropping and like farming, very little, but farming practices that can can ruin the earth. But I just think about gardens as such such small scale practice. I always assume that they're better than just cut and fertilized lawn that we yeah. tend to do in this country, which makes, by the way, just zero sense, folks, like zero <laughs> sense why I am living like hardcore in the suburbs right now, cookie cutter. And uh, it's crazy. Like to me, it is crazy. I have to go on a mini rant here because let me tell you, when I go out into the country, guess what's growing on the ground with non-cut lawn? Herbs, yeah. very useful herbs. Yeah. Um, yarrow, which is yeah. like an amazing liver detoxification system in one plant. That's what's growing. So if we're going to talk about conspiracies here, I mean, we're not, but like, just if anyone's interested, look into it because this is so bizarre to me that we have this practice of cutting, putting in grass and just cutting grass that does nothing to feed our health when naturally there are really medicinal herbs growing from the ground. It's crazy. So Anyway, I think that growing gardens just see always seemed better than cut grass, but what kind of what kind of practices would you say do harm when one is gardening? So there's there's a couple of things. So actually going back to your point to just kind of confirm what you're saying a little bit, you know, something like yarrow drives a extremely deep root. And when we have a plant that drives a deep root system, more than three inches deep, it is actually capturing carbon. And then we're not cutting it back, which when we cut any plant back, it also releases carbon. So when you're talking about grass specifically, grass only holds a three inch deep um, root system. So, <laughs> and then we cut it. So there's nothing wrong with having small bits of grass. It's just like Doug Ptolemy, if you've ever heard of him, he's a big advocate of like removing your lawn sort of thing. Um, and he has a rule of like 70-30, you know, and 70% native plants and like deep root driving plants and, you know, oak trees and things like that. And then 30% of whatever the hell else you want. <laughs> like, And it just being this like good mix that I think a lot of people when they hear that, they're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Um, because, you know, you can... I, you, I think it's always good to like encourage people, like give them kind of a denominator of like, okay, how can I be really helpful? And that to me, like really has connected with me because I'm like, oh yeah, like, cause we have a little bit of lawn, but it's not compared to our 15 acres. It's like 1%. <laughs> so yeah. It's just for our kids to play in where they're, you know, can just have a soft spot and it's perfect. But to offset some of that, we also mix in, something like clover and white Dutch clover drives a deep root, feeds nitrogen into the grass. So when you combine them together, they, you never need to fertilize or do anything to your grass because the clover is playing into that. It's just a lot of people don't want clover because they think of it as a weed, mm. but it is not. And it is actually a super helpful plant to our yards. And so we can offset some of that carbon offput by doing that. So Anyways, <laughs> but to answer your question, there's a couple things that 
are really helpful. So a lot of people, when they grow a garden, what they're doing is they're utilizing um, tilling practices. And when we till the soil, we're opening the ground up, which you know releases carbon. And even on a small scale, with how large our climate problems are right now, we have to, we can think about this. You know, if like a hundred people started not tilling, that's a hundred less people tilling. You know, and the expanse of that, it's kind of like that one plastic straw is <laughs> just one plastic straw. Well, said one billion people. It's the same idea. So if we take away the no-tilling and instead we actually make less work for ourselves and lay compost that's really, you know, well-made, whether by ourselves or by a local company that's doing it right. Uh, everyone has access to these things. You can do it for free by yourself <laughs> or not, you know, it doesn't matter. But if you just lay it down two, three inches in between growing seasons, let the rain water it in, your work is done. You don't have to till anything. And actually it works better as a weed suppressor and it feeds the nutrients in the ground, captures the carbon and ultimately it's less work. So I always am like reminding people like you don't have to do anything other than just put some compost down. And we want to complicate it, complicate it, but nature is continually showing us it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, that's just one thing, but like with companion planting specifically, though the science is still out on it, it's 12,000 years old. Like we've been utilizing this to domesticate plants, to utilize, to make stable food systems since for 12,000 years. Back in Oaxaca, Mexico, it was the first place that it was ever identified. So it's like, it's, you can say it's not science backed, but whatever, <laughs> because it's it's people backed. You know, yes. we can watch the trends of that and see that it's really, really powerful. In because basically what we're doing is we're taking the forest, how it models, or a grassland, how it's modeling um, growing practices, and it's taking these plants, putting them into the garden in that same way, and we're utilizing all their buddies. So it's kind of like creating a great table <laughs> chart or whatever you know like when you're like got a party going on and you're like okay who are the cool like the right people to seat together you know so like all their conversations are great and you if you pay attention you know to those people right incorrectly you can understand like oh they're gonna have a great conversation well that's what we're doing in the garden we're creating a perfect table chart <laughs> of these little communities of plants that know how to grow together and they complement each other. And so when we do this, we suppress weeds, they bring in um, beneficial pollinators, they actually bring in beneficial pests, deter the not so beneficial pests. <laughs> um, and so we don't need to use pesticides, we don't need to be weeding, we don't need to be tilling, we don't need to be doing all these things that add a lot of stress and are not good for the environment. Because even when we talk about organic or natural pesticides or um, things like that, like neem oil or BT, some of these things that people throw around that are organic gardeners, they still are very harmful to pollinators. They don't, they're not, um, you know, without their damage. And so in our garden, we don't use anything uh, at all. There's not one pesticide, there's not any natural things. At most, sometimes on, our squash, we had a really bad squash bug year and no matter what I did with companion plants, but all I used was some Bronner's and soap water, a soapy water, like made it into soapy water and just sprayed it on the nymphs and it was fine. It doesn't, it's not harmful ultimately uh, to the greater ecosystem and it completely degrades in the ground. So everything is there. It's just, so our gardens can really make a huge impact 
um, because on things just with these simple shifts in what we do and thinking about things less like these wide row spaces, even like of like kale and then a long row of tomatoes. And then we have this like foot in between each plant, you know, that foot can be utilized if we're, you know, mulching with another plant, such as like, um, even like some weeds, you know, that we, things we consider weeds, um, we can be seeing those grow amongst everything else and they actually complement each other. So there's like creeping thyme and all this stuff that covers the ground, creates a mulching effect that actually holds in water. So we don't need as much water. We don't need to weed. We don't need to, uh, you know, adjust the soil at all other than just laying some more compost in between growing. So it actually simplifies the system and ultimately is better for the ecosystem. So nice that's so cool uh you're like guys it could be so much easier <laughs> you know, when you when you realize all of this you're like yeah why why are we not doing this um and we're just really conditioned you know my dad has a garden here we had a garden together last year we were using all the stuff all the home depot stuff and we didn't use pesticides but like no like just buying soil throwing it there and of course you know it's a conversation that I have to have with him gently and over time, all of that, but like, we were just easily. So it's like, I've, I'm talking a big game right now, but even I was like, yeah, I'll do a garden with you and we'll just put in the soil and till and uh, all that. Cause it's just ingrained in us since whenever, in my opinion, whenever these huge companies said, Hmm, how can we commercialize people wanting to grow their own food? Like, how can we control that? Right. Think about it. it it's commercialized. Started, it started like in colonial times when we colonized America, we brought these ideas from England and Europe over here because Native Americans didn't use these practices. And so they utilized these sort of practices I'm talking about. And they even had areas that went fallow. Um, they would you know, grow things in a, for a certain period of time in one area, and then they completely let it go fallow while they prepped, had another area that was growing and starting to be prepped. And everything was like in these slow seasons of like understanding that we protect the earth and this is like how we do it. Um, so it really, and then it really became strong when we started industrializing it with, you know, when around the time of slavery and all of that, um, that, that was a big time where that was also adjusted, which is really sad because actually I just went through this whole history in a podcast, but um, because even in West Africa, they were practicing what Native Americans were practicing, even though they had no actual connection at that point. And the, when they were brought to America to be, you know, free labor slaves, they weren't, you know, those things were basically taken out of what they were, knew. They were told not to do that anymore. And so it's really heartbreaking, like to think like that all this knowledge was existing and it was, <laughs> exactly exactly there's just there's a lot of stuff that made a lot of sense and then society was shifted where few things make a lot of sense to me right now and then we have to go back to roots to follow these folks who were doing it the right way the natural way you know and it's I, this is the thing I love about natural practices also my I say this all the time to my audience but I have to say it it's important 
multiple uses for one thing and how everything can work together harmoniously, right? You don't have to buy this and this and this and okay, now something's going wrong with this. So you have to try to stop this from happening. Things can work harmoniously. One of the first things I learned when I started looking into natural health and I started working at a health food store, coconut oil has like 50 uses. It's antifungal and you can whiten your teeth with it and you can use it as body lotion and you can use it on your hair and you can use it to cook. And it has all these great um, uh, immunity properties and it has these great um, fats in it. And it's just one product. It's just one product and butter can be used in a bunch of different ways. And I, I started to, I have a cow share here now, Megan, and I started to make some dairy products with it. And I, I was doing it today. You can, uh, separate the cream off the top from the milk, you can make butter out of it. The liquid that comes off the butter is buttermilk. You can use that to ferment stuff as like a starter. You know, like we think about sourdough starter, it's like a starter, um, not for sourdough, but it's, it's a probiotic, a probiotic liquid to utilize. And then with the milk that has had the cream skimmed off, you can make cheese out of it. And when you make cheese, it goes, uh, there's the curds and then there's the whey and the whey ends up being a probiotic drink that you can make, or you can also ferment stuff with the whey. And then the, the curds make the cheese, everything is utilized and there's no waste. And it all like runs back one. It's a cycle. It's a cyclical process. One thing runs back into the other, and then we drink it and yeah, exactly. It just like, it goes on and on. It's a cyclical harmonious process. And that really reminds me of what you're describing. And I think nature just keeps doing that consistently. One thing helps another. It just makes so much sense to me. It just makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so I would like to hear now about what kind of practices you are doing in your garden you already mentioned a couple of them but I've seen your I think it was a story highlight or or perhaps one of your Instagram posts I saw some chickens poking around in your garden so talk to us about that do you have some biodynamic practices with the chickens yeah so chickens were a big thing a big goal of ours we can't where our land is we can't have um anything like goats or sheep um which would have been probably I would have preferred having sheep to be honest, um, that was like one of the high, you know, goals, but one day maybe, but for now we can definitely have chickens and we can have as many as we want, but we have 15 and well, I guess we have 14. We just lost one to a hawk, but, uh, it happens. (laughs) So when you, especially when you live on a hill, (laughs) um, and you are exposed that way, but, um, we have those, 14 girls and they're lovely. They, we got them not just for their eggs. Obviously they're going to produce eggs. That's part of their um, culture and who they are. But I really got them because when we moved here, the land was just like a gravel pit. It was terrible. And we brought in, we have some neighbors that have like um, 10 horses and we like just trailered horse manure that had been fermenting and you know cooking down and everything and we trailered it over to our land to put it in the fall to put it all over the exposed areas where we were just trying to grow wild rye and all these wild you know grasses to basically reestablish the grasslands that were that are in the area they weren't up here when we built we picked the spot where it was the most fallow like not producing anything it was 
just rocks and like it was so bad <laughs> and invasive plants when we got up here mm. um and that's one of the reasons we chose this area is that we weren't going to disturb the ecosystem that much when we were here so the chickens then now so we put in the manure let that go all winter we didn't touch it and since then we just have like tons of wild rye growing and i'm establishing the yarrow to start growing and the clover and it takes time I and mean, we're here now four years and it's not an overnight process and it and i've learned that and we're establishing apple trees that are native varieties and things like that and wild plums and mm. um hazelnut american hazelnut trees like all these trees that produce food but also provide ecos something to the ecosystem and so eventually it'll be sort of this like food forest model that will be on our hill but it's definitely taking time but the chickens are a huge part of that because you know they peck around they eat bad bugs they eat, they poop they you know scratch they like do all their stuff and they're a huge part of it and they're a huge part of our garden our in-ground beds that we have they spend all spring working in until because i have tunnels that i use to grow in so they can't get in those when they're pecking around in there but um and then we have a greenhouse as well that they don't go in and i grow things in there so those areas are protected during the spring season but they're pecking around and like turning up all the soil so i'm just by themselves which is the best regenerative way of like rebuilding your soil is utilizing animals and so they do all the work for you and so a lot of people are always like oh what are you going to do when your chickens aren't laying eggs in the winter i'm like well as women we don't necessarily like you know always we're not always fertile you know like we go through periods of time where that's not where our energy is and like that's okay so why would i force my chickens to do that and that's okay that's what they're going through so to me my chickens are a huge part of the greater ecosystem of how we grow food and um are rebuilding our soil here on this land so and because one of the things i learned was that this our where we are is located in you know, Leelanau County, which was shared hunting grounds of the Adawa and Chippewa Indians. And so when you think about that shared hunting grounds, that means a land of fertility, peace. And, you know, this space was not that when we came, you know, and now I feel like it's starting to revive itself. And every spring and summer, I'm just like amazed by how things move and have changed. And like, and I think it's just solely by being patient and doing it with nature rather than trying to force it out of something into something else so yeah 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 totally we have to in my view one of my biggest life lessons i think the biggest life lesson i've had in the past couple of years is that patience is needed mm -hmm. if i want to do something in a way that feels natural and right to me and part of my life path part of God's plan for me or part of the universe's plan for me, however you want to say it, patience is the number one thing. Slow build, a slow build. Because, you know, we were mentioning 
us just getting really used to having things instantly, have it going to the store and buying something that's covered in plastic to use. We're conditioned that way. So we think, and for me, it's really reflected in every part of my life. I think that something needs to come now. And when it doesn't come right now, then it's not correct. And uh, okay, how do I fix it? Or I should just abandon it. And one of my biggest lessons has been to not do that and just wait a little bit for the slow build to happen. Because like you say, we see it in nature. We can follow nature's lead and we can follow the practices of uh, the folks that were here um, doing this thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that outlook. I love that outlook so much. So let's talk briefly about seasonal eating because you champion that as well. How does that show up in your life? Oh, it shows up in so many ways. Um, well, it all started, honestly, we moved when we moved back here, um, we moved away and then we came back <laughs> um, and we were staying at our friend's house that they rented to us that was out at the end of Old Mission Peninsula. And if you've ever been up here, Old Mission Peninsula, like there's nothing between the end and, the, <laughs> you know, until you get to Traverse City. So it is like a just farmland, basically down tons of vineyards and wineries and things like that. But there's not, there's no markets or there's one really tiny one but it's also a gas station it's like the only little town so to speak and so we lived all the way at the end and so i had to kind of learn to either make the most i was forced into a situation which was good for me after living in a city where like you know trader joe's or whatever it was right around the corner or whole foods was right around the corner Mm -hmm. i had to completely relearn this thing that I grew up with, but I had become accustomed to something else. And I, it was a forcing myself to break it, which was really funny because my friend who owned the home, she had lived in Brooklyn before. And so she, we were talking about this. She's like, you're going to learn a lot of things. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) So, but she she was right because I learned to become completely self-sufficient or community sufficient, so to speak, off of the community around me right there of whatever the farmers had in their farm stand and farmers have a lot even in the winter in their little stands and I would go there and you know buy a cabbage and a few onions and whatever else they had maybe they're growing mushrooms in a greenhouse and that's what we would eat apples things like that whatever they had and I just really learn to focus on this and what I not only was it surprising like how much money much less money we spent number one that one was a big one but because a lot of people always think local food is expensive but local food also lasts longer and it's way fresher and more nutrient dense and so because it hasn't transported or been picked at a time when it wasn't at its peak nutrient level so there's a lot of value add to that, but um, you know, a cabbage can last you two weeks if <laughs> you use it properly. And so in a, even a family of four, so it, it goes a long way. And so I, I, that was like where it started, but like really started to integrate itself. But I had been in like the local food world for a long time and I just, you know, enjoyed learning about cooking in season and things like that but I didn't practice it as deeply. And it definitely was like something that I've slowly done over time. And the best way that I learned to do it also was just getting a CSA and 
which was a challenge because there was a lot of things I didn't know how to cook with when I started. And like, I had no idea really what to do with fennel and fennel fronds. And what do I do with a kohlrabi? I really hadn't grown up with those things. And so I was like, okay, I got to learn how to cook these things. But now those are some of my favorite vegetables to cook with. And I, I don't know, it was always fun to just try to play this game of like, how many vegetables can we add to this meal? And it, it's been absolutely incredible because and now I have this deep passion and love for all these different things that are grown right here. And sure, we still buy some things like my kids love bananas. So we still do that, but it, it's still, but it's, they also have a deep love for, you know, going over to farm club and picking out fresh veggies in June, you know, or going to the farm stand down the road at Lakeview Hill farm. And, you know, we buy all our greens and, you know, that that's what they see as much as anything else. So I think that it's just such a beautiful practice. And I just know that our money, I think about, you know, as somebody who makes money online, like I'm taking this money that I'm making online and I'm putting it directly into our local economy. And these people who have dreams of living up here and having this lifestyle and that are working so hard are now able, we're able to like transfer that energy so to speak, into a new location that, you know, makes this sort of life possible for more people. And so I, I just think about how powerful that is too. So, yeah. Yeah. That feels good. That feels really good. Just again, <laughs> it's a, it's the same. It's all like a metaphor for the same natural process of cycles. Yeah. You know, it, it gets recycled. Everything gets recycled. Fruit falls from a tree and it goes into the ground and nourishes the ground as compost. And you're trying to circulate your money back into local sources that will feed your community and help other folks along the way who want to be in that vibe as well. It just makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. What is a CSA? You mentioned you've got a CSA. Oh, yes. It is a community, community supported agriculture. That's what it is. Um, so that would be considered community supported agriculture. So what you're doing is you're committing to a farmer, like a farmer will ask for, we'll do a CSA because what it does is you pay up front. You say, okay, I'm going to pay $500 for 12 weeks of vegetables. I have no idea what's going to be, or, you know, that box could also contain eggs. It could contain dairy products. It could contain meat, whatever, it just community grow like agriculture coming from a farmer you can choose a lot of different models there's tons of them um but what it does is a, a lot of farmers have an upfront cost at the beginning of their season before they start actually producing anything and so that helps to offset that up, upstart cost for them so they get you know 100 people who've paid them 500 dollars do the math that allows them to buy all their materials, their seeds, like any new equipment they need or up to update equipment in order to grow things, um, all of that. So it, it, it's a huge thing and for a farmer uh, because <laughs> it really can make or break their season. So, cause it's just these people that are kind of saying, I'm committed to you. I am your community of people that's gonna make this possible. And in trade, I get amazing vegetables every week or food that's going to sustain my family and me. So yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, that's so great. That's so great. There is a spot called the Southeast Market in Grand Rapids. I'm located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So if you're around the area or down south a little bit in Michigan, Southeast Market does a 
farm box. I forget exactly what they call it, but if you go on their website, they have food that is in produce, I think specifically, and maybe fruit that's sourced from local farmers and they prioritize indigenous and black owned farms, women owned farms, and uh, they put it together for you. And it's a nice little surprise what you get each week. And it's like the, just awesome quality food that like our bodies love because it's, it's so much more direct to consumer. It just, there's so many benefits to it. And so cool that, that you, that you sourced this out, Megan, and that you did that yourself. So mm-hmm. that's how you kind of got into learning about seasonal eating. And I know you mentioned kohlrabi. I, I saw it on your social media too. And I'm like, yeah, I would have had no idea what to do with kohlrabi. So you get to learn so much. And, and oh, yeah. also for health reasons, I'm still someone that struggles with uh, health issues. And they also say they, like folks who have healed themselves have also said, uh, expanding their diet with different, diversifying their diet with different types of produce and stuff like that. It can be so helpful. And who knows, you might stumble on something that your stomach really likes that your immune system really likes. I think, yeah, there's just so many uses for that beyond even beyond supporting community or even beyond getting like cheaper produce, which is also just as important, but so many reasons. Which is also a huge benefit to growing your own food because then you can choose those things too. Um, you know, when you go and buy starts, even if it's from a local farm or it's from a nursery or wherever you're getting them, um, they, these already freeze sprouted plants, you know, you're under the guide of whoever is growing those, you know, like they've chosen those varieties, but like I right now back here have behind me starting some things, doing some playing around and testing some things. I have seven different varieties of peppers, you know, and they're grown, they're types of peppers from all over the world, you know, and so I can try all these different peppers and they all hold different flavors and different, you know, offerings in what they are, you know, so you can really have a lot of fun and try things. So it's, it's pretty fascinating, I think. It just brings me so much joy to try different stuff like that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. You, and you feel it in your soul, don't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like your soul knows. Your soul knows. Man, and just what it does for mental health, too. It Like, like hearing you describe this experimentation process with peppers, it really reminds me that it, yeah, it just, it, it just can really give us a sense of purpose and a different outlet for creativity. Mm-hmm. I think that is part of the reason why this lifestyle is so important for us to know that it's an option, you know? Yeah. I want to ask you too, Megan, what do you grow in your greenhouse? So we will do some starts in there this year. Um, Like I'll move everything out of our basement um, where I'm at right now. And then uh, we'll put it into the greenhouse once it's a little warmer. And, but a lot of those will be like spring things. And then we'll put those in the ground under the tunnels, which act like greenhouses basically. And we do that to kind of open our season so we can start growing, get um, carrots germinating a little faster. So they're ready to go next to our tomatoes. And, um, and then, you know, we have mustard greens and green onions. And um, I'm trying to think of like, what else I have on my list right now. I'm like in between like (laughs) designing a few gardens for people and finishing my own. So, um, 
yeah, what did I else, what did I do last year? I'm trying to remember. Oh, we had radishes in there. I had like mm. four different types of radishes, which was really fun to see all these different radishes. Um, I usually do parsley and get that going. So we have some of that because it's pretty hearty, but it's biannual. So it, it's not always good every year. It kind of gets a little, a little bitter after a while, mm. but um, still a beautiful plant and still has a place in the garden. It just isn't as edible, but, um, but yeah, the greenhouse also will then we're going to, we're actually removing part of the floor in it. Um, cause it's just bricks. And so we're going to take up part of the bricks and we're actually going to grow some of our peppers and tomatoes in there this year so that we can extend them a little longer. Uh, because you know, right now we can only grow our peppers and tomatoes. We struggle with getting, this is why I'm experimenting with peppers. Um, we struggle with getting pepper like really good peppers usually we can get shishitos and bananas and jalapenos honestly do pretty mm -hmm. good but the ones that we struggle with are some of these larger sized peppers which are really good for like fermentation and hot sauces and things like that mm. so um but i've been reading a lot about how we could extend that with just having a small greenhouse and so we're going to try that this year that's going to be my experiment so we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I'm yeah. excited to follow your journey. I'm sure our listeners will be too. So you, ooh, I want to talk to you about connecting with nature, but I really, I, I really want to do it. But first I want to make sure that we hit your, your service and your business and the classes or the community that you have built to yeah. help teach people how to garden and yeah talk a little bit more about that if we want to get more intertwined with your work and learn from you how can we do that yeah the best way is honestly we have a page on our website that's a learn page and so it's learn.freshexchange.com and there's lots of free content on our blog and stuff like that but uh you know it's it's super focused that's you know really heavily on like seo and solving problems like little problems from there but um i i mean i share stuff too on instagram and i plan to share a lot more like reels and videos this year but for the most part where we, you can best get the greatest information is either through our newsletter which is free or you can you know check out our what we're doing with we have ebooks um which are all digital, so you don't have to print them, you know, so <laughs> that's the goal. And there's a new e-course that's going to help teach you how to utilize something like companion planting in your garden design. So that's the big one. Um, and that is one of like 20 e-courses that I currently have planned. <laughs> so it's just the tip of the iceberg of what will be coming in the next couple of years. And so it's awesome. But then I also have my podcast and myself. And then we have our online community, which is like, it, we are starting a whole new process of how we're gonna do payment where, um, and how you can join. So it's off of social media, it's on its own platform that we run, which I'm really proud of and happy with because social media gets to me. So I love that we have full control in this community and it's really awesome. So the it, we'll be opening it up um, for this, for the year again, um, in March, the first day of spring, it will open up. And so, uh, I'm really excited. You can either join it just to be a part of the conversations and ask questions and get access to monthly Q and A's with me, or you can join the larger one, which offers you a lot more resources and discounts into our learn and like all of that. So, um, but yeah, it's an amazing group of people. I'm continually blown away by 
the things that we're all, I learned so much from everyone. It's amazing. And how we just have connected. I mean, so many of these women have just become really good friends and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so nice to have that support. It's so, so nice to have that support. I, again, I just prefer talking to people about their own personal experience than Googling. I don't trust the the results on Google. I don't even know how people do that. Like how, how can you, I, I don't understand it. I guess other folks are much better researchers than I am, but I just always prefer to me. It's so much quicker yeah. to ask someone to hold a little bit of space for you uh, to, to ask them about their experience. And you really created this in a structured way, uh, which is super nice. And something that I probably need to be honest, because I want to learn about all this stuff, but I don't, I don't want to go and Google. I don't want to do the research. I just want to talk about it and you know be in that kind of structured environment it just is a really nice resource it's a really nice resource and that's why i built it is because i was i felt that way you know mm -hmm. and it's really nice to be because it's also set up in zones and people also have their own like mini cohort groups where they can ask that are regional and so you can ask more specific questions for your region because you know even something like when is my last frost date well the last frost date First, I'm in zone 6B5A, it kind of like shifts between that depending on what the year's like, but <laughs> to be honest, but that time that is my last frost date is actually technically slightly different. After like really observing and watching things over the years, I've learned, you know, never plant any summer things before Memorial Day weekend, even though the zone chart says technically my last frost date is mid-May. But I've learned that from working and talking to other people, farmers, you know, gardeners, and them saying, okay, this is what I do. And then, you know, kind of adjusting it slightly for myself. And it's really helpful. So. Yeah. Love it. Love it. That's so true. Again, the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah. So let's talk about spirituality and connection with nature. I saw that you have a story highlight that is just nature sounds and also the like video footage. And I love that, Megan, because I love to do the same. I love to record like a babbling brook uh, or a stream and put it on Instagram. I think that's such a nice thing for people to see with their eyes while they're scrolling or, or uh, folks who can't hear that. Like I also lived in, in Brooklyn. I lived in uh, all different parts of New York for six years. And man, I'm just so grateful for all of these uh, sounds and these sites that I get to see in Michigan. And when I lived in New York, I was never going up upstate. Um, uh, yeah, for many reasons. But uh, I really miss that. And to be able to see that online, to be able to see beautiful uh, pieces of nature in a place that I knew existed and hear the sounds was really nice. So I would love for you to talk about your connection with nature and the significance of that to you. Oh man, I don't even know where to begin. That's a broad, <laughs> that's a tough, broad question. Just like, you know, why, why you even began, why, why you had a thought to record those, those few sounds in nature and you know, what that means to you and if that connects spiritually. Oh, it totally does. And ever since I was a child, I mean, I have, I grew up in the woods. I grew up, you know, with a house that had a creek behind it and mm -hmm. I was always dirty. I was always like muddy and disgusting, you know, <laughs> like when I came home, you know, and my poor mother who was a neat freak, maybe that's why I was, <laughs> but, um, I, 
I have just always felt at home in nature. And I, <laughs> I'm not somebody who lives, does well in a city. I never have been. And I love visiting. I love being there and feeling the energy of it. But then I need to escape and I have to be in the woods. And that was the hardest part. We lived in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. And for a while and even that which isn't of that big of a city it's you know mid-sized but it's not huge um i couldn't wait to you know get out of there you know i was always looking for the next way to get to nature and and i realized i didn't fully understand it i don't think until i went through this chapter where i questioned everything which basically happened when we moved back here and we were living at that house at the Interpol Mission. You know, I couldn't really go anyplace that often. I couldn't like go into town or like, you know, it was hard because it was 30 minutes in, 30 minutes back out. And I had a six month old and it was Jet who didn't like the car. He's a very active dude. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had to learn how to just integrate into nature. And it, it was fascinating because around us everywhere, it was just like the lake was right there. You know, I could walk the quiet places that, you know, people had their beach houses, but they're all boarded up for the winter. And so I would just wear my son and just go on long walks and he would fall asleep because he was in motion. And I would just, you know, pick up sticks and, you know, watch the world. And it, it became, at first I felt lonely in this weird way. But then over time, if I didn't do it, I felt off. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, something, something's clicking here. And then to skip forward a little bit, when we moved out here, I, um, I started feeling this different. I, I don't know, I started really connecting with the woods around us, because we have, you know, 15 acres of woods and grasslands around us. And there's, there's like a deciduous tree forest that's around us with a natural artisanal spring popping up mm. that we want to like get to like actually be able to access the water. Mm. Um, right now it's just like flowing very small amount, but um, anyways, then we have this like grassland, beautiful space that has this amazing maple tree and apple trees that grow in it because it's an old, old, old farm. And then, um, and then there's this like pine, I call it the pine Valley. And it's basically like where a lot of the animals find cover, particularly in the winter. And I just really started to get to know all the land around us. And I cross country ski all winter. And I just like have backcountry style skis so I can just like go wherever. And I started just really connecting with a lot of the trees. And a lot of people up here connect often with the water, which I do too. I mean, I'm from Harbor Springs, like I grew up in that sort of world, but the water doesn't as connect to me as much of as the trees do. And I've now read like probably four books about trees. <laughs> so, um, and now I understand why. I think um, because in what triggered me into doing that was after I had my daughter, um, I started having these weird dreams of this tree that was in the Pine Valley. And I've always been like a very vivid dreamer. Um, <laughs> and so, but this tree just kept popping up and it was this huge white pine. And 
I kept having these dreams where I would go to it and I would lay down on it, like next to it. And there was like lean up against it and just like sit there. And it was like, I'd wake up so calm. Like it was just like Mm -hmm. this, like I found my place sort of thing. And so when this was like, probably when my daughter was four months old. And so I finally went down one day and just went down and defined this tree because I knew it was somewhere on the land. And it felt familiar, like that familiar. And I walked up and I realized that it was this, what I now understand is a mother tree. Mm. It's huge. It's probably 250 years old. It's humongous. Like the, the diameter is probably like around the trunk is almost like five feet. And oh. it's just amazing. And there's all this moss that grows underneath it. And like the animals are always bedding down around it. You can see them in the snow or, you know, and the pine needles and stuff like that where they were. And it just, it feels like, I don't know. It just feels right. It's one of those places. And it, I particularly, you know, going through the last couple of years, I think it, it has been like such a place of just rest. And I've just found a lot of connection. And I grew up like in a very conservative Christian home. And so to, break those barriers of like realizing that nature connection and like expanding my spiritual beliefs beyond what I grew up with has been a really big thing for me. And, and so I don't know, it's been a big, it's lost relationships, but it's also gained new ones. And I've realized like the deep roots of who, who I am because of connecting into nature. And for me, that also involves the garden, but I feel like the garden's just a gateway into when you can start connecting to plants in that way, you have more ability to connect to the larger things like trees and the movement of even how the stars and the moon moves and like all of that, like you can start feeling that connection in a deeper way. And so, cause that's what it has been for me. And so that's why I'm a huge advocate of people just like, get your hands in the soil. Like, let's get going. Yeah, that's so cool. Wow. How profound. And I totally understand this, this feeling that you have like this energy that I'm getting from you when you're talking. I'm so familiar with it, even though I haven't had a dream that was so connective and significant to the nature that's around me. I think that's so cool, but it's this feeling of like, um nature reminding you nature kind of reminds you who you are authentically and it's so i mean man in the self-development world at least it's it can be so hard for us to get down to the authentic self even if we're working every day to do that and uh nature can really just knock us back in however many days or months or minutes can knock us back to to what feels really right for us knock us back to who we are and part of that process can be shedding uh people or experiences or places and then cultivating new experiences and people and places and that's such a cool man that's such a cool process that you laid out in such a graceful way and i'm curious how long did this season of loneliness happen for you when you moved up here? Because this is something that I'm kind of experiencing now in, in a certain way, in yeah. a certain context in my life. And I think I have some audience members that are also experiencing similar yeah. situations. Well, I think anytime, you know, 
anytime we go through it, it's something, you know, and a transition, there's a, a, or we are, whether we're aware of it or not, there's transitions are a point that we're navigating something alone in some way, whether we have people around us that care about us or not, there's a sense of isolation and loneliness that goes along with transition. There's a free fall feeling that no one can adjust for you that, you know, and so mm. for me, that's what that was. And, you know, honestly, it lasted about, I would say six months or so. Um, part of that, I don't know, is because I had a sleepless child. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I was at the end of a peninsula and then we moved for a while. We moved downtown Traverse city and there was a different change of lack of loneliness and, you know, going through a winter at the end of a peninsula has its own feelings of that. But I've always seen those times as being the most important. You know, I think I always go back to calling them like winters of the soul, you know, Mm -hmm. and where we're going through that fallow period, you know, you could tie it even to like the new moon and in indigenous spiritual beliefs, they also see that as the North wind is like a time of, um, you know, feeling lonely, feeling, in infertility is the way that they quote it even, you know, and I think that's what it is. But, you know, I was kept thinking about, okay, what, what will be coming out of this? You know, like, what is it that's stirring and shaking that will move us into spring that will move us to that fertile point again into the South wind, you know, sort of speak. And so I, I think there's, I, I didn't see that then though. Like I definitely was in it pretty deep mm-hmm. and it was a dark period in many ways, but I've always just had, I've learned better to trust those times and to just kind of be like, okay, how do I nourish and feed myself and, and learn new ways to do it so that I can, you know, better face the next one because it will come. It always does. There's always transitions. You know, we live like what, thousand lives in one you know so it's it you kind of have to find that's to me just an opportunity which is kind of awesome but it's hard it doesn't make it any easier (laughs) yeah that combination is so I mean it's so fascinating and I think romantic because of that and really like a special kind of drama because of that which I really like I like this this idea of you know, sometimes the emotional roller coaster feels really deep to me and profound, even though I'm kind of complaining in the moment. I complain to oh, my yeah. audience all the time. And it's just, you know, you're in it, like you say, and then you're not. And you can kind of look at it with hindsight, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. Uh, that's these words are really special to me. I, I love how you say that. And you also you kind of work in connection with nature to your your community that you have, right? I know that you mentioned like connection with nature. Um, yeah. Do you talk about these topics? Is it more in relation to gardening? No, so sort of. So what I do is every week, um, every Friday, <laughs> I share them actually on our podcast. They're really quick. Like I call it the Friday meditation. I did not share one this week because I couldn't muster it out of me yet and I don't ever like to push the creative process so Mm. you know it might come this weekend instead of Friday but (laughs) um I've learned better than to put out shit work then you know it's better to just let it you know 
bubble itself up instead. And so, but I, what I, I've always been really good at this and um, I'm just a highly like sensitive person, I guess, to the world and like how nature moves. And I always have been as, as, even as a child, Um, a a rainbow could make me cry. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, things like that, but I love making these connections and the garden is to me the most natural place to do it. You know, I talk often about, you know, we're coming into spring and it's a really messy time in the garden. It's not beautiful and you have to do a lot of work, you know, for instance, but there's so much that we can take away from that. So much we can learn from that analogy in our life. Like there's a guide there. And so I, I think I've learned just by becoming so deeply aware of these connections of what nature is speaking to us that um, we, what we can do and how we can meet our own selves and even more other humans. And I think I've just continually realized less of like seeing myself at the top and of the, of this like pyramid of things and rather seeing myself as just a part of the web. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's what I'm always trying to connect for people in our community too, because I offer journal prompts and everything for them to just kind of guide them week by week. And the hope is, is that maybe one day it'll turn into a book or something um, to help guide people through the seasons. But it's, it's just intended to kind of, you know, go back to that idea that we're all in this beautiful cycle of things and, you know, nothing's ever permanent. I, I truly believe and see that the, the months are kind of like we can equivalent them to like the months of the year we can equivalent to the hours in a day, so to speak. We can kind of put one month to every single block of a day. And so much of winter is those days of the dark, darker days, you know, and so a, a darker part of the day, the nighttime. And so, you know, we always, for instance, just we can take January. Mm. January is, uh, and we talk about this, we have like monthly themes and we talk about this um, in the community, but like, you know, I reminded people that January is, is not, this is the middle of the night. This is our 1am. You know, why, if somebody walks in and shakes you and says, Hey, you got to like get on your to-do list. We got to go, we got to do this, you know, brings that energy into that moment. That's not the right energy for the middle Mm. of the night. You know, we're resting, we're dreaming, we're, you know, connecting, you know, physically with one another, or, you know, we're doing all those things. That's what that time of the day is meant to be. And also that time of year. And so we need to lean into that, which I I think gives us a little bit of pause when we look at the grander world and what it's saying to us. And it helps us find a new story, a new, I don't know, narrative to put to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful and so encouraging because how many of us also in the north, you know, in Michigan people, I mean, it's so easy to start complaining about winter or the depression, the lack of sun, lack of vitamin D and there it's it's an ebb and flow. It's an Mm -hmm. ebb and flow. It all ties back into the cycles, which is so cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the new narrative. I bet that really resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. So Megan, I ask every guest this, 
<laughs> what do you think the root is of health? What is the root of health? What do you think if you could choose one thing, what would be like the common denominator of good health? Oh, that's a great question. I think I think understanding the, the cycles of life and cycles of self, like I, because I think we always want to see life so linearly, yeah. but it isn't that way at all. And I think our bodies aren't that way. Our minds aren't that way. Like everything is just a big circle. I mean, I can't, we keep coming back to that today, but I, I think it honestly is because I think it offers a lot of grace in times where we're struggling. Um, it offers a means of like excitement for when times are good, you know, that we need to, you know, when the sun shines, we live in, we live in it, you know, and we absorb it and we take it in. And so, um, and we learn to have that, I, like, a, like that calm of relaxing in those moments, you know, um, cause I always think of that with summer, particularly like I had to learn this summer to like, just be. And cause I'm like, this is summer. I gotta be in it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, soon enough it'll be winter again. And not that like if you live in a world of like the fall's going to drop or something, but I think it's good to just learn that pace and to accept it because I think it just takes a lot of strain off of things sometimes. And I think we just live in such a world of like immediacy and now that I think really wears on us dramatically. And um, I've really worked hard to recycle you know, think that and the things like I'm really into doing acupuncture and Chinese medicine and things like that. So on top of it, because I found my own healing in those things, but, um, yeah, I I've learned that's one of those big parts of all that. And I've seen it work in my own life and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Like integrating that aspect of nature into our lives and become kind of becoming one in the web like you say yeah. the mindfulness i love this the mindfulness and the presence that you have with your approach let's just say to gardening right you have your community where and your course right where folks can learn about gardening but i think the the mindfulness piece and the perhaps spiritual piece of this practice is just as important and put together wow how healing is that right like you learn the practical stuff you learn how to garden there are so many reasons right you learn how to garden you learn how to eat um for cheaper for yourself you learn how to grow your own food you learn more about the earth and what the earth likes and you know we get worried about soil health these days you get to start to build that up again with your own two hands and then you also learn about you know what nature can teach you and with the journal prompts that you have these tools to dial you into what is in front of you in this moment instead of uh just focusing on the facts and the figures to have really a relationship with what you're doing on a deep level on a deep level and noticing that deep relationship because sometimes we have it and it brings us joy which is amazing but someone like yeah. me i need to write it down how am i feeling so i can really learn that lesson of wow this looks this looks good to me this feels good to me uh so yeah i love how you tie everything in together gee well megan gilger teacher business owner third generation gardener we're so grateful for you thank you for spending this time with me yeah. it was such a lovely conversation i feel so good now after hearing you talk about this <laughs> 
topics. Uh, just it meant the world that you're sharing your time with us. So thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. If you get value out of this podcast, please share it with at least one person today. If you don't know anyone else who would get value out of this podcast, please subscribe on your listening platform of choice and follow me on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening. Your support means so much to me. It helps me gain momentum to keep bringing on awesome guests to this podcast and to keep spreading the word of self-empowerment and natural health to more and more people. That is so important. And if you're feeling called to work with me on one-to-one self-development techniques, DM me on Instagram or email me at emily at rootawakening.co. The information on my communication and boundaries course is in the show notes, and you can also subscribe to my email tribe in the show notes as well. I love you. Thank you for being here. Catch you next time.